Our scripture passage is found on page 4. And I'll read that. I'll read that for us. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I will read the whole chapter. 2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority." Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if... After they have escaped from the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. And we pray that your spirit would make your word to come alive. Help us to understand it. Help us to 
apply it to our lives, help us to hope all the more in our Savior Jesus because of this passage. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, school is about to start again, or for some it has already started. So I want to start with a few, a few true and false questions, like a little quiz. So true and false, this one's for our kids. Basic math. Two minus one equals one. True or false? True. Two minus one equals one. True or false? Today is Sunday, August 29th. True. True True or false? Pastor Troy begins his sabbatical tomorrow. True. True. True or false? Christ is coming back. True. Amen. But not everyone says true to that. Not everyone says that Christ is coming back. Tell any number of people, true or false, Christ is coming back. And they will say to you, false. Peter wrote this letter to warn us. He wrote this letter to warn the church. He wrote this letter to warn you and me. There will be false teachers. There will be wolves dressed up like sheep. There will be so-called Christians who scoff and say, where's the promise of his coming? I don't see Jesus. Where is he? Christian, you must be on your guard. There will be false teachers. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Peter tells us what we need to know about these false teachers. He tells us what we need to know. He tells us where to find them. He tells us how to recognize them. And he tells us what God will do about them. For you note takers out there, I'll say that again. He tells us, Peter tells us where to find the false teachers, how to recognize them, and what God will surely do about them. In verses 1 to 3, Peter gives us a summary. Think of verses 1 to 3 as a bird's eye view of this whole chapter. So if you get lost, if you're wondering what's going on, refer back to verses 1 to 3. It's a summary of the chapter. And I'll read those, I'll read those verses again, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Where will we find false teachers? Did you hear the chilling answer in verse 1? There will be false teachers among you. Among you. So yes, the Taliban is a threat to the church. Yes, the Chinese Communist Party is a threat to the church. Yes, the Jehovah's Witness who knocks on your door is a threat to the church. But don't miss what Peter is saying here. Perhaps the greater threat is from within. Where will we find false teachers? Inside the church. This means that they will profess to be Christians. They may have 
reverend or pastor in front of their names. They may be popular bloggers and authors and, and conference speakers. They will profess to be Christians, but they're not. Peter says this is not a possibility. It's a, it's a promise. There will be false teachers inside the church. And if you haven't already, you will experience this reality, this sad reality in one way or another. My wife, Becky, could share about her experience. When she was growing up, a false teacher arose at her small church. My parents could share about their experience. Years ago, false teachers arose at their church. My sister-in-law could share about her recent experience. This is news as, as of several months ago. A longtime member of her church has started promoting the Baha'i religion. Where will we find false teachers? We will find them in the pulpit and in the pew. If that's where we'll find them, then how will we recognize them? Do you see, if they're going to be inside the church, do you see how important that question is? How will we recognize them? How will we know who's the real deal and who's not? Peter tells us to look out for two things. First, look out for false teaching. False teaching. Now that, that's an obvious point, but Peter says it. Pay attention to their words and doctrines. In verse 1, he says that false teachers will bring in heresies. Then in verse 3, he says that the false teachers will exploit you with false words. False words. False doctrines. We know from the rest of Second Peter that they will even deny Jesus Christ and scoff at his return. You probably know, this is stepping away from the text for a second, but you probably know that proclamation teachers need to be approved. Every proclamation teacher needs to be approved. The approval process involves several steps, and it can feel tedious at times. And the process is not perfect. I'm sure we could make it better, but don't miss the point. Our, our elders screen for false teachers. Our elders screen for heresy. The approval process is one way that our elders, and some of these men are here tonight, it's one way that our elders care for our church family. It's one way that they protect us. Praise God for elders who take this stuff seriously. Think of all that you can access, all that you can access on the internet, on TV, on the radio. You can access countless preachers and bloggers and podcasts. There are so many out there. And you need to know that there will be false teachers among them. And they will call themselves Christian. They will call themselves Christians. So we must be on our guard. Peter says, look out for false teaching. Second, look out for false living. How will we recognize false teachers? Not only by their talk, but also by their walk. Remember what Jesus said. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits. So what are their fruits? 
Peter says in verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. Sensuality. Then he says in verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit. So what are their fruits? Their fruits are sensuality and greed. In other words, these false teachers live for sex and for money. Can you think of examples? Peter will later give us the Old Testament example of Balaam. But can you think of modern day examples? Examples of modern day popular Christians who live for sex and for money. As I study this passage, I thought of Ravi Zacharias and the scandal that followed his death. I won't go into all the details or into any of the details, really, but here's the point. Despite good and true things that he said in public, he lived like a false teacher. This popular Christian apologist had been living for sex and for money. At the end of the day, God only knows whether he's in heaven or in hell right now. But he lived like a false teacher behind closed spa doors. There will be false teachers. There will be. The sobering reality is that they will be inside the church. And Peter says, he tells us, he tells the church, you will recognize them by what they're saying and by what they're doing, by what they teach and by how they live. Again, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, then you know that this is true. In one way or another, you've experienced false teachers. You know the pain, the grief, the hurt, the conflict, the confusion, the suffering that these false teachers inflicted on you and on Christ's beloved church. You felt some of that, or you will. You have felt the heartbreaking reality of false teachers. And I want to, re- want to remind you that there is such a thing as righteous anger. There is such a thing as anger that's good and warranted and holy. And if there was ever a place for righteous anger, if there was ever a place, then it's right here. Did you hear what false teachers will do? False teachers secretly bring in heresies that destroy. Many follow them like sheep following wolves. They cause our precious faith to be blasphemed. They exploit God's people with false words. And what will God do about them? What will he do? Will he take them seriously? He will take them seriously. Did you see, did you hear what Peter says at the end of verse 3? Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. What will God do? He will condemn and destroy them. An elderly saint once said to me, payday someday. I think that sums it up in a nutshell. Payday someday. Lest anyone have doubt about this. Lest anyone have doubt, Peter begins an argument in verse 4. And here's his argument in summary. If God cast fallen angels into hell, if God brought a flood upon the world, and if God turned Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes then you can be sure of two things. 
first, God knows how to rescue his people. And second, God will punish his enemies. So listen again to Peter's argument. It starts in verse 4. I'll read these verses once again. Starting in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Does God know how to judge false teachers? Yes, he does. Consider the fallen angels and the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Past judgment guarantees future judgment. Payday someday. But does God also know how to rescue his people? Does he know how to rescue us? Yes, he does. Consider Noah, a herald of righteousness. And consider righteous Lot. Really? Lot, righteous? If you read the story in Genesis, Lot appears to be anything but righteous. What, he's, what is he doing in here? Especially with the word righteous before his name, twice. Righteous Lot, really? Here's one thing to consider. Do you remember when Abraham interceded on behalf of Sodom? Abraham interceded on behalf of Sodom. Here's a, here's a quote from that story. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Okay, what about 45? What about 40? 30? 20? For the sake of 10 righteous people, will you destroy it? And in the end, only three people make it out alive. Lot and his two daughters. Yes, God rescued righteous Lot. Lot was far from perfect, but so was David, the man after God's own heart. So was Abraham, and so was Sarah, and so were all of the Old Testament saints. All were far from perfect, but God rescued them. Does that encourage you? Does that encourage you? You and me, we aren't saved from the wrath of God because we're good enough. No, we're saved from the wrath of God. Sinners like us, like Lot, are saved because Christ is good enough. Christ lived in our place, and Christ died in our place. And because he rose, we too will rise. God rescued Noah, and he rescued Lot. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Still, this doesn't mean 
many things. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer or lose jobs or even be martyred. This doesn't mean that false teachers won't cause division and distress. They will. They will, but Christ's church will prevail. God will rescue us and bring us into his presence. True Christians will persevere to the end, no matter the cost. Your God, our God, knows how to bring us safely home. He can rescue us, and he will. So what does God really think about false teachers? What does he really think? What's his, you could say, what's his heart for false teachers? Well, listen again to some of the strongest language in the New Testament. In verse 10 and following, Peter does not mince words. No, he aims to warn us of a real danger. Listen again, starting in verse 10. Halfway through verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Remember, remember, false teachers profess to be saved. They profess to be Christians. Peter's not talking here about atheists and agnostics and cult followers and whoever it is out there. No, false teachers profess to be born again, and yet this is how they live. What went wrong? Here's what went wrong. They took God's grace and used it as an excuse for sin. We've been saved by grace, right? So now we can live however we want. As Voltaire would put it, God will forgive, that's his business. God will forgive, that's his business. Free forgiveness means that I'm free to live however I want to live. And if Christ isn't coming back, then why shouldn't I? You all know that that is a terrible perversion of grace. It's a perversion of grace that warrants the strong words that conclude this chapter. Verse 17. These are waterless springs, mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. 
For if, after they have escaped from the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Once again, notice a really sobering reality. Peter says that these false teachers, quote, they escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, there was a time when they appeared to be genuine believers. As we might put it, they were once members in good standing of gospel-preaching churches. But what happened? Did they, did they lose their salvation? No, they were never saved to begin with. All along, they were dogs and pigs dressed up like sheep. That's the point of the proverb in verse 22. The dog returns to its own vomit. Peter's quoting from part of a proverb, Proverbs 26, 11, which says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, I know that many of you are dog lovers. I hate to break it to you, and don't tell your dogs. Don't tell, don't tell Malachi. Don't tell Rosa. Don't tell Eva. Don't tell your dogs. But dogs have an overwhelmingly negative connotation in the Bible. The Bible speaks of dogs the way we speak of stink bugs and spotted lanternflies. That's how the Bible speaks about dogs. Do you like seeing a stink bug? What do you do when you see a spotted lanternfly? That's right. You try to, at least. So you can wash a dog. It can be nice, and, and he can, it can smell nice and clean. You can take it to the groomer, but a, but a dog will still do disgusting things. If you've ever had a dog, then you know that that's true. I remember how my dog would roll in cow manure after we just gave her a bath. As the proverb says, a dog will even eat its own vomit. A dog is still a dog. A washed pig is still a pig. Without a change of their nature, they will do disgusting things. So, do you see the application of false teachers? These are people who appeared to be converted. They were, quote-unquote, washed. Their lives seemed to change. Perhaps they were baptized. Perhaps they went on mission trips. But what never happened? Their hearts never changed. They were never truly born again. And so, like dogs and pigs, they returned to eat their vomit and wallow in the mire. Peter says that it will be worse for them. It will be worse for them because they heard the gospel again and again and again. They are more accountable than others who never heard the good news. And their punishment in hell will be worse for it. But Christian, Peter's not talking here about you. 
he's not talking about those who genuinely love Jesus Christ. Why not? Because the Spirit changed our hearts, and we are new creations. We are not dogs or pigs. We are sheep. And our good shepherd will warmly and joyfully welcome us into his eternal kingdom. Peter is not talking here about you. He's not talking about those who love Jesus. But still, although he's not addressing us, we're not the false teachers in the scope, in the, in the crosshairs right now. But still, there's an implied warning for us in Peter's words. There's an implicit, implied warning for all of God's redeemed people. And it's this. Do not presume upon God's grace. Do not presume upon God's grace. God's grace. His undeserved, relentless, unconditional favor is never, never, never an excuse for sin. That's what the false teachers got wrong. No, it's never an excuse for sin or a license for sin or a reason for us to shirk off the call, the call to holiness and say, I'm going to go how live however I want to live. No, as we know from earlier in this letter, God's grace gives us all the more reason to make every effort. Our every effort, your all-out striving to obey God is not at odds with God's grace. It is not at odds. No, our every effort is the necessary consequence, the necessary consequence of God's grace. If you love your Savior, if you love Jesus Christ, then make every effort. So let's end the way we began. True or false? True or false? There will be false teachers inside the church. True. That's right. And although that is true now, get this, it won't be true when Christ returns. It won't be true anymore after Christ returns. The day is coming when Christ will rid his church of every last false teacher. The day is coming when the great church victorious will be the church at rest. Amen.